what do you get when you combine Ultraman, Superman, Common Rider, Kung Fu, A Bruce Lee, and a pinch of Kaiju? You get this week's uproarious episode. This is Kaiju versus History, the Super Inframan. Welcome back to another Hong Kong Kaiju versus History. This is your Dragon Mama Miles, and joining me is a Chinese super weapon, Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing this week? Yes, my skeleton is robotic now, I think is how that works. Whatever they did on Common Rider is the same thing they did to make me superpowered. I, having recently spent some time with Common Rider, not exactly what was happening here. <laughs> they, um, did they like make him like a cyborg? <laughs> I mean, in the first edition, first yeah. thing, there is a cyborg element to it. Yes. Although this, I mean, this is certainly a, 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 a fun hodgepodge of oh, iconic superheroes from around the world. And mm-hmm. so what's interesting to me about this one is, you know, we recently did a kind of ultra ripoff movie that boy, howdy was a lot to get through. Uh, You're speaking, of course, about Jumborgase. Yes. This, however, I mean, one, it's a Shaw Brothers production, uh, which was really, really fun. I've always enjoyed a lot of their their martial arts films. And seeing them kind of dip their toes into the, I guess, costume superhero genre Mm -hmm. was really fun. Yes. Like from from a time where they're doing... That I know of, because I mean, my my Shabra's history knowledge is fairly limited mm-hmm. um, to just their martial arts films, although they have some really, really fine ones. Um, this is an interesting movie because, yes, it is certainly following, I think, more the ultra and common template. But there is a super strong element of other things. I mean, obviously, you know, the movie was translated as or literally translates as Chinese Superman and on the poster is a very infringed Superman logo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I was surprised because it doesn't really show up in the movie anywhere. And this was theatrically released a few years before the Donner Superman film. So this is, I guess, just capitalizing on the, the popular comic book character yeah the animated character what have you yeah so that was that was surprising to see that on the poster i was like that is very much the superman s but yeah that's that's the history of the shaw brothers studios you know their logo is basically the warner brothers logo but with sb instead of wb Um, yeah they're a hong kong studio that i wanted to introduce on the podcast, because we're going to come back to them with 1977's Mighty Peking Man, which is one of like Tarantino's favorite movies of theirs, besides their their kung fu films, which were a big inspiration for him. And they indeed helped to define the Bruce exploitation era of films after the breakout success of 1973's Enter the Dragon. 
And yeah, if you're a fan of the Wu-Tang Clan, they're they're big Shaw Brothers movies fans. Mm -hmm. And we got a little bit of kaiju in this film, which is why we're jumping. I mean, I I think think we're bending it and we just wanted to talk about this movie. But I, I, yes. And uh, like you said, Tarantino is a big Shaw Brothers fan. And I think there's an episode of of the the Beverly Cinema podcast pure cinema where he obviously he owns the the new bev and yeah so that sponsored podcast he will guest on every now and then and he did did an episode on specifically that era of martial arts movies and Mm -hmm. it's just a great honestly great podcast to listen to want to see how big a fan is pretty awesome yeah but also just to kind of take i mean i remember when i when i decided i wanted to kind of dip my toe into the kung fu pool i just took down the name of every movie they were talking about and tried to watch as many as those as I could. Yeah. Stuff like One Armed Swordsman and, and which is a Shaw Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. And one of their I, biggest. Honestly, that was do it. One of their biggest. Yeah, it's and it's a great movie. It's a really great movie. The 30, 36th Chamber of Shaolin is another big one. King oh, Boxer. Yeah. They they had a lot in the the 70s. And this one came out kind of like the height of their their production and was also a big deal. For them, of course, we're talking about the 1975 cult classic, The Super Inframan, as it's known here. And you already spoiled Miles the 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 uh, the literal translation of the original. Oh, title. sorry, yeah. How dare um, you? I know it's it, it's such a fun little factoid, and this is like one of the most like known things about it. I didn't think this one particularly counted because <laughs> also there's a giant Superman S on the poster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, before before we get too, too far ahead of ourselves, Patrick, what is in a title? A great deal for Zhang Gao Chao Ren, Chinese Superman in Brazil. This movie was called The Atomic Superman in various places around the world. It just was called Super Inframan or, you know, some other variation of Inframan. Italy called it Inframan The Other Dimension, the Superman or Super Inframan, the defender of the world in, in Spain. In Turkey, <laughs> they, they call it Bionic Man versus Monsters. And Not bad. In, in From West Germany, no Frankenstein instead. I, I, this is blowing my mind. <laughs> a movie where you literally have a scientist creating a new life form <laughs> and uh, working on parts of a person, and they don't introduce Frankenstein. It was called Invasion from Inside the Earth. Indeed, yeah, it seemed like this is the one to go with for for Frankenstein. But they were from outer space, aren't they? No, they were they were maybe originally, but they were locked under the Earth's core. And when the earthquake happened, they were released. Okay, I, I mean, I I got that part, like they, they, but I thought they were originally from outer space. Um, maybe it seemed like there was also some magic going on with. Dragon I, I got a Mama. real after ten thousand years, I'm free vibe from <laughs> yeah well yes exactly this movie starts at zero and goes to 100 very quickly we got this like either a school bus or a church van full of kids singing a song and then when the earthquake hits <laughs> they have to evacuate and the van goes off the side and blows up and and then it immediately cuts to a city that is like on fire people running around like pure chaos and the massive orgy of destruction <laughs> and uh really wakes you up <laughs> the beginning of this movie because yeah we indeed we see the large dragon mother who is released by this earthquake very e- early on 
like first five minutes of the movie and begins indeed raising her evil army of of subterranean bad guys to yeah start causing havoc i gotta say i was pretty impressed with the earthquake effects i I thought it looked really good super yeah that on rethinking my score for for this one i think i gave it a few more points because of some of those crazy effects were toho quality i would say yeah maybe I mean, they maybe they stole footage i don't know <laughs> i didn't i mean I didn't they, 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 that, it definitely but... gets marked down in in tech points elsewhere i mean like the the, the monster designs are pretty cool conceptually yes yeah but boy howdy them suits boy howdy them suits you can see zippers and mm-hmm. like where things were attached on the back <laughs> and i I mean, it, look, things happen, but yeah, the, 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 the suits are not great, but it's also the kind of movie where like, if you can go along with it to, mm-hmm. to a certain degree, you know what you're watching. You can still have plenty of fun. And I mean, th- this movie is, is kind of fun in that in, in the U S dub, the, the main villainess is called princess dragon mom, <laughs> demon princess Elzebub in Chinese playing on the, 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 the names Beelzebub. But come um, on, the the American dub name is just so good. Princess Dragon Mom, yeah. Princess Dragon. I'm Mom. also like, okay, if she's a princess, where's the king or queen? Oh well, that's that's the Power Rangers tie-in. Obviously, if they were going to make a sequel, it would be yeah. You, you uh, got you got to have king you know Dragon your, Dad, right? <laughs> Prince um, Dragon Dad. Uh, her husband comes up from the subterranean as well to take revenge. Yeah, I mean, Lord, this, Lord I mean, Zed even, though, shows even up. though this is this is, I mean, not the the kind of thing that we would see in in Sentai for quite some time. Growing up with Power Rangers, I got a very familiar vibe from all of this, even from the what do they call her? She demon in the stuff. She demon is her right hand woman. Yeah. Yes, got some uh, Scorpina vibes from her. Like well, there is, I would say, Dragon Mom's costume reminded me the most of Scorpina. Oh, sure. Just uh, like I'm talking about more like in in character. Oh, than, yeah, character is design. like 100 there. Uh, she definitely, like you said, have this the Rita Repulsa vibe to her. I was going to say that like so much of Super Sensei because this is out a couple years before. Super uh, Sentai's Go Go Ranger uh, show. Uh, Super Sentai uh, Go Ranger, I think, was seventy five. Oh, so the same. Yeah, year. so it, it came out okay. around the same time, but I don't think they had. I've never seen Go Ranger, to be honest. I mean, I've seen clips of it, but I don't know if they have the same kind of villain setup. That that's one I haven't seen. So it's. I, I think they were just fighting a terrorist organization. Uh, that's so. It's crazy that these were. You know, right around the the same time, even though this, this is a lot more Ultraman and Common Rider, Rider. Like, like we For said. For sure. But, but yeah, it just it feels so much like what we Power know Rangers from, from the and, Western. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it, it you, does. You've got the bone. No, the skeleton troopers. What are they called in, in the series here? The the the, the, the putties of. Yeah, they they definitely have that, ghost. Yeah, that that henchman vibe that every every Sentai series has with their love, putties or love their costumes and their their weapons. These like lances with this giant ball on them. Again, conceptually, I loved it. On paper, it's great, and like <laughs> a handful of those suits, someone spent some time on, but most of them, <laughs> not as much. But again, conceptually, I'm I'm into it. 
even though it was like, oh, this is this is high school level production on these costumes. The the picture I sent you of one of the skeleton troopers and in one of the the monsters. Oh, on, uh, on the boat <laughs> piloting. Yeah, the the per the the professor character the dr frankenstein character back it just it made me laugh so much yes. when it came up in the movie it, and you know there's some other adornments that they did to make this like this is an evil boat it has like a dragon head on the the end of it but you can't see that in this shot it just seems like some guys going out for a, a trip <laughs> but, and the uh what the, the piloting seat would be like the middle of this bench where three people can sit, but the yeah. professor is there and the, the skelly ghost henchman is piloting like from the side. So he's just got like one arm on the, the steering wheel. Also, I just realized they kind of have like bat signal insignias on their, their mm-hmm. motorcycle <laughs> helmets. Oh, uh, so, I mean, obviously when these creatures attack, the lead scientist, Professor is it Lou. Yes, L L I U, I believe. He, I guess, chooses like his best boy, and under he, they, he undergoes a process to turn him into a superhero. Yeah, and what, what's their organization, Miles? <laughs> their their, uh, uh, their the, the Science Foundation is that what it is? Yes, not Science Patrol. That is completely different, legally and distinctly, from Ultraman's SSSP. Even though they have very similar kind of, I like their futuristic silver costumes, but I, I, I like their costumes. One thing I also really liked is despite the fact that infrared is, or inframan is the hero and mm-hmm. obviously the most powerful member of the team. A lot of these dudes can fight on their own yeah. and can do so pretty well. Like I briefly got mixed two of the characters mixed at one point. And finding out that that he wasn't Inframan and still was like beating some monster butt, I was like, this is cool. I like to see that these guys are actively supposed to be doing what they're supposed to do. Yes. In in a lot of situations, it's, oh, the regular guys are overcome even by the most basic monsters and the superhero has to basically bail everyone out. And I really like the fact that these dudes could hold their own in a fight. Inframan is Lei Ma is his character's name of the SP here is played by Danny Lee. But one of the other SP members is the aforementioned tough fighter of the science headquarters played by Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, L E. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last um, name. He's, he's a, a guy that gained a, a great deal of, of <clears throat> notoriety perhaps for kind of taking over the the real bruce lee and doing bruce lee style movies yeah i mean they were the actor's death he was a, a large part of the bruce Boytation films that popped up afterwards his his name is pretty well known amongst martial arts enthusiasts or martial arts film enthusiasts and they would often give titles like bruce and blank so they were you know Everyone kind of knew it wasn't Bruce Lee, but the fact that he looked enough like him and was a pretty good martial artist. He's not on bad. Screen. I mean, yeah. there's like there's no one getting to the level of the real Bruce Lee. I, I was, no, absolutely not. After I watched this film, I watched some clips from from Bruce Lee films and geez, Louise, it's it's just uncanny <laughs> the amount of skill that man had. Danny Lee would go on to to star opposite Chow Yun Fat in The Killers and, and in tons of other action and kung fu films. Such a good movie. 
he's great. He is awesome in this film as well. But like you said, everyone on the Science Patrol has some some cool stuff to do. That last fight where they're all attacking all the skelly ghosts. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No complaints. Zero complaints there. <laughs> Riding the motorcycle yeah, I, around I mean, the little set. Again, there, conceptually, there are so many great things that this movie does. I mean, clearly, it doesn't have money. And you know that fairly, fairly quickly. But it still gives a an honest effort. And as far as quote unquote ripoff movies go, there's, there's a little heart and soul in this. A lot of the, a lot of those, well, as, as we will find out in this decade, a lot, a lot of the ripoff movies tend to be simple cash grabs. And despite the fact that this movie does steal shamelessly from so many things, but you know, it still has its own identity. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the very famous often misquoted, you know, good artists borrow great artists steal i think it steals just what it needs to to make a super influential film in its own right i mean this like you said it feels like a pastiche but it also feels like a love letter to a lot of of what was going on on television but on like the big big screen and And, maybe not the same i think you hit the nail on the head it it certainly feels like it's borrowing all of the elements that it loves about each thing and I mean, because obviously, you know, there's some movements that are are taken directly from Ultraman. You know, there are some Mazinger's East things that I mean, uh, the 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 lack of yellow sun is a Superman thing. Uh, <laughs> the, the suit itself looks less ultra and more common rider to me. It, it has yeah. that kind of insectoid look to it. But everything comes together in such a way that makes a pretty entertaining film the it doesn't always work because i know we're being really really positive because this is a fun movie but there's a lot about the moving parts that don't always work and i think script and that could be a, a fault of the dubbing too is certainly one of them mm-hmm. but it's not for a lack of ideas it's not for a lack of designs and it's not for a lack of solid actors because every single person for the most part, showed up to work and I think did a pretty good job. There's a great history on Cool Ass Cinema, a website that has is, is got a ton of amazing behind-the-scenes photos and uh, where a lot of our research came from. But one of the bits of interviews of Danny Lee has him telling stories about how multiple times explosions on the set were more dangerous and in, indeed danger to actors, but also all the special effects coming out of Inframan's suit had the costume catch fire multiple times. He said, quote, another time I was on a wire being hurled at a monster with the spark shooting out of my feet, which is towards the end of the movie and just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Quote, unexpectedly, the spark set the monster suit on fire. It's funny in a way, but a staff member ran up and asked to take a few photos before we put out the fire. It's scary, but funny to think that you catch fire and you have to wait to have your picture taken. <laughs> this is uh that is uh, one of the most kaiju things I've ever heard because that happens in so many kaiju films where those costumes would just go up in flames and they would keep rolling. <laughs> in fact, sometimes if the actors could tell they would, you know, ham it up a little bit like a Nakajima, of course, and set on fire right. more times than we can count on this podcast alone. This was supposed to be a pretty big movie for Shaw Brothers. They did, despite what you think the budget was, put a lot of their 
capital up front and into the promotion of of the film as well mm. trying to to sell it overseas trying to get into you know japanese theaters and us in in particular and yeah the production production was huge for them even if they had larger hits in some of their lower budget but higher return kung fu films they wanted this to be kind of a a franchise and it just wasn't because it didn't do that well when it came out but yeah they they put a lot into this they they took some of the scores and soundtracks from ultra seven and mirror man for Um, the soundtrack for the movie at the end and maybe i'm crazy but did i not hear the mission impossible theme (laughs) <laughs> maybe bits and pieces yeah because i heard that bum 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 uh there's, there's so many that I mean it movie goes a mile a minute so it's so hard to keep track of one mm-hmm. uh, scene from the other it is it is one of the easiest watches i've had on this podcast in some time because there's not any downtime there's not really any long stretches where there's not a explosion or fight that happens i don't know if i call it one of our easiest watches we've had a near 10 or maybe it was a 10 uh godzilla versus Beck godzilla yeah yeah that movie just a couple a, weeks ago a really good watch but this one was it was just fast <laughs> it was less than an hour and a half and goes it, by quickly it, it is fast there are moments where i feel that this movie does slog and it's mostly because the pacing of the script, the the direction is very kind of it's very superficial. It's very simple. And there, there are certainly moments where I felt like, oh, we could have tightened this up or something could have been done to speed this along. And again, it could be something with with how things are dubbed. It could have it could have been a little more dynamic in its original language. I watched the dub that was available, I think, by Shaw on mm-hmm. the Internet Archive because the, the version they have on streaming there is really nice yes that's the other thing yeah for some they, they've kept this movie looking well i believe they did have a, a blu-ray release fairly recently oh that's pretty cool i mean this is definitely one for for the shelf it is one that uh, i certainly wouldn't give to someone just starting out or who had a uh, like a passing interest in kaiju stuff or even tokusatsu uh, this is this is definitely I don't want to say it's a deep cut. Well, it's it's a deep cut, but like I don't want to say it's, you know, for fans only. It's not that kind of film, but it certainly requires a little bit more interaction with the stuff that's borrowing from to really, I think, enjoy as much mm. because some of the stuff I liked because it was actively, oh, they're doing Ultraman or, oh, this is totally Superman. Like, it's fun to see that kind of stuff. Honestly, it's still a very fun superhero romp. I liked a lot of it, despite how little sense some of it made. And and that that is a thing. This this movie, while it does go a mile a minute, it's, it does so because it want, does not want you to think about the logic of anything at all, ever. I mean, par- part of people's dislike of the movie is there's a bit of magical realism and like powers just come out of any nowhere and anywhere on super Inferman. all of a sudden he's got a new power and uh he, he's like remembering he's like oh the professor told me that i was also i could i could stop myself being frozen oh yeah <laughs> if in case i ever get frozen i forgot he told that, me that, that old chestnut so they right they, out they, of they, this problem they flash back to something that that absolutely did not happen um <laughs> And it, but it's not just 
passing interest. So I can't, I can't, I can't say it. Like, that, that's why I'm trying to like properly gauge it. Cause it's not just diehards because this movie is championed by one Roger Ebert. <laughs> yeah. Roger Ebert. Indeed. Which kind of surprised me how much he loves this movie. Yeah. We, we can talk about his criticism. Cause that, that comes up, you know, you, most anywhere. If you look for like reviews on rotten tomatoes, it's so crazy to see Roger Ebert's, uh, a three star review from him. And that's out of four. That's high. That is, you know, 75%, seven and a half stars on a, a 10 star rating like ours. That's very high for Roger Ebert. He gave the matrix three stars, but also fight club. He gave two stars. Well, he actively didn't like fight club. Yeah, he's, a, um, he's a crazy man. But originally in 1976, when he reviewed the American version, he only gave it two and a half stars, but a positive 19, review, I think. A positive review. I mean, that's still positive. That's more than, you know, I mean, half. The, the words he used were when they stop making movies like Inframan, a little light will go out of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then in 1999, he bumped it up to three stars saying, I find to my astonishment that I gave Inframan only two and a half stars when I reviewed it. That was 22 years ago. But a fellow will remember a lot of things you wouldn't think he'd remember. I'll bet a month hasn't gone by. Since that, I haven't thought of that film. He's he thought about Super Inframan every single month of his life for 22 years. <laughs> it's just that tickles me pink. I mean, uh, to think about, I can kind of see it. I mean, Roger Ebert is, I mean, you could do a whole podcast on Ebert to re- really. I'm a um, Malton man <laughs> and his terrible reviews. So the thing about Ebert, like what I, what I liked about Ebert, really, this is a little bit of an aside, was as an essayist, I really enjoyed a lot of what he did, oh, even when I disagreed with him. They were great to read. Even though, I mean, there were certain things I absolutely disagreed with him. He, I mean, to his dying day, he, for whatever reason, would kept kept getting in the in the argument about whether or not video games were art. Yeah, and it's like, cares? whatever, stay in your lane. Who cares? <laughs> and again, like, that's the thing is, these things are opinion, no matter how well they source themselves. And Ebert, Ebert always, I think liked genre films certainly mm-hmm. more than his frequent partner gene siskel and i i'm not like on part of me is like tickled that he loves this movie as much as he does because everyone kind of has one of those movies like yeah that they just like really go to bat for no matter what and it it, it tickles me that this was this was ebert's but it also in some ways knowing some of the movies that he does truly love doesn't shock me too much that he at least saw this as like oh Okay, this Shaw Brothers, so he's probably seen a, a lot of their martial arts films, so he knows the kind of movies they're making. Oh, it's their version of a superhero. This is pretty cool. Certainly, especially before you could believe a man that could fly. Yeah, that's that's crazy. This didn't indeed came out before Superman trying to maybe cash in. Did you have a favorite scene, Miles? I know that's I had hard. Several. To, yeah, I was about to say I this is the one time I want to talk about multiple parts of this very fun um, film. First up. And this is something that 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 tickles me pink. So he finishes building Ultraman just in time. Inframan just in time. No, nah, it's and, Ultraman. You're fine. And Ultraman, or geez, Inframan, you know, kind of shoots out of the, the little science foundation center. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, look, up in the sky, it's Inframan. How does everyone know Homeboy's <laughs> name already? He yeah, was no. just built. <laughs> I was cackling. <laughs> Because I thought that was so funny. Like, oh. it didn't bother me. I just thought this was hilarious. It's like, how, how do you know? We're in comic book logic here, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, um, I, I love 
and part of the kaijuness of the film is I forget the monster's name. I think it's called Octopus Plant in in one of the translations. That 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 old chestnut. The first monster that we get to see turns into like a giant creeping vine that attacks the Mm -hmm. science headquarters. And there's a great scene where it's like pulling the the Bruce Lee character, I think, away from like turning on the defenses or yeah, there's just a great fight. And then all of a sudden it it feels like very Tarantino esque editing. Someone like kicks the door open and they've got the the buzzsaw and they come up and, and chop one of the 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 vines off. That whole sequence, love that whole thing, and uh, oh, I, I almost said Ultraman as well. Inframan showing up and and taking on the monster is a ton of fun. Great, great start to the combats. One one of my favorite Inframan battles ends with him literally growing to giant size and squashing the bug monster. Yeah, it's well, it's the exact same logic that turned our our other uh, <laughs> robot friend in Jet Jaguar. It's like all of a sudden just Jet Jaguar has the ability to grow to kaiju size. I mean, guess maybe the monster, the it's kind of like a crab monster. Maybe it's called spider monster in the, in the movie. It also can grow to kaiju size. So of course, Inframan does that's the kaiju section of the film. And that's another one of my favorite parts of the movie. It, it looks good. They got scale stuff kind of, well shot and edited and some bug guts <laughs> yeah and when he beats him up inframan puts it to the boot and we get a a great sound effect like a 10 out of 10 sound effect and then green yeah. blood shooting from this little body i mean i would have if i had seen this in the theater i would have clapped at that point oh 100 percent uh similarly uh there's a great scene where he's riding on a motorcycle and just hops off and lets that motorcycle just steamroll <laughs> a monster yeah. and i feel for the guy in the suit because you know someone just took that hit they uh, took there's that some very frightening stunts that are done in this <laughs> but, movie but the way he just comes in like just lets that thing fly and just take that one guy out i was on the floor i thought that was so funny it was so great there are some just like, so many of these moments where you're just like this this is very enjoyable because. I think that if you and this is certainly one of those movies that like if you have a couple of drinks, some popcorn mm. and someone to kind of bounce off commentary with, this is a gold mine because. Oh, oh my goodness, Miles. Yeah. I mean, you've come to the most criminal thing about this is there's no Mystery Science Theory 3000. There's no riff tracks for this. No Titanic, nothing. Yeah. Th- this this kind of thing is perfect. meant for it because perfect. It's a it's a great idea, not fully realized because of script and budget and the translation is and, yeah, so and, and fun. We haven't even talked about the quotes. This is the most quotable movie. But it's what makes this one of those kind of so-called so bad it's good movies because it's there are so many elements that that technically don't work. But because of the way they are executed, it is entertaining to watch. And that's the most important thing, because if you are entertaining somebody for whatever reason, then that butt in the seat is good because I go to see a movie, especially any sort of kaiju or superhero film. Half of that is I want to be entertained. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie certainly succeeds at that. Doesn't matter if some of it's intentional or not. It's it is actively entertaining. This gave me a very similar vibe we just saw here in the beginning of 2023. 
Shin Ultraman in theaters, and I got a very similar vibe. Yeah, that very fun, actively great and well made <laughs> movie. Yeah, that that's a an example of a, a great <laughs> film with this level of of fun. And uh, if you don't want to wait till twenty twenty five to hear us talk about it, Patrick was on the More You Nerd with me yes. and my co host Drew to talk about. I'm very Ultraman. interested to do that movie in a couple years in a couple years in context around other films that have come out in in recent years but yeah if you if you can't wait definitely listen to that we had a good time talking with drew about it and that's a you know yeah, a different thing we're, we're talking about the history of the movies more than anything here and then we just talked about our full yeah that, that was full a on just enjoyment <laughs> of of the film yeah, th- there's no legacy for this film. It is a cult classic. It is a hidden gem. But like you said, there's so much. It feels like people in the business in Super Sentai might have loved about this film, these characters, these monsters, because it feels like so much of this shows up in Tokusatsu later on. It feels like this was a very influential film in that respect. I can certainly see that in terms of the setup of the villain and certainly the 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 theater of that kind of comic book arch villain with the lair and the cackle and the, the melodrama it's yeah. it's great and there is an aspect of that i think that is invaluable whether or not it did directly influence anything mm-hmm. it certainly is before a lot of the stuff that we know and i i i definitely think this this movie should certainly be seen by more people I, I and I believe that MSC3K did utilize at least the idea of the Dragon bone. Mom and her skeleton people yeah. with the revival of MSC3K with Kinga and her little boneheads. The boneheads are directly, yeah, you know, looking at those designs, you're like, oh, where is that from? You know, and it's from this <laughs> very often overlooked film. That's why I'm I'm so angry that there's no riffs. For for Super Inframan, it it just it would be perfect. So funny. I, I would watch I would watch that probably all the time. <laughs> Supposedly, Run Run Shaw, one of the Shaw brothers, was impressed with the box office take in the USA. This movie was billed as the bionic the bionic hero or the man beyond bionics in 1976 when it came out here trying to capitalize on the six million dollar man which was extremely popular and the the sequel idea supposedly that run run shaw had was the supra infra woman and Mm. apparently was in the summer of 77 going to get an american actress in a lead role but of course that never materialized and they would they would stick with their their kung fu films for the the most part, and in that year, instead, they would do the Mighty Peking Man, which is another kind of Kong influenced film. Hooray, Miles! I feel like we've already spoiled it, but let's talk about our our rating for this film. I cannot believe I'm looking at your score. This can't be right. What what is your enjoyment for Super So, well, like I said, there are some things about this movie that really slow it down. It doesn't keep me from enjoying the parts of the whole. This movie is certainly above average and it is pretty entertaining despite sometimes feeling a little bit like a slog. There are certainly t- times where I felt like I didn't have to always pay attention. Mm. And part of that is the localization. I I do think it's a great time. I liked seeing a Chinese entry 
that I don't think this is our first one, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. We're going to get a couple more from Hong Kong very shortly, but yes. And so I, one I, of their, it's like often quoted as the first superhero movie from China, like ever. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot to like here. And obviously as a tokusatsu fan, there is a, a, a feast of things for me to, to pick up and enjoy. That said, I think the, the script is fairly lousy. And I think the suits sometimes, and not just that, some some of the special effects do drag the film down, especially seeing what can be done elsewhere mm-hmm. and finding out how much money was spent on the marketing as opposed to maybe some of the movie is a little bit of a bummer. For me, and my personal enjoyment is tempered, <laughs> despite how positively I feel about the movie. But again, seven is not a bad score. So I'm trying to be a little more academic with this and giving it a seven out of 10, because I think it is above average movie that has a lot going for it. And you will certainly enjoy your time. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of there's a lot of room for improvement in, yeah. in this one. Seven out of 10 is very good on our scale. And that is right where our good friend uh, Roger Ebert put it. I'm putting this at a nine out of 10. I thought this was an exceptional good time. Honestly, talking about it or explaining it to people makes me want to immediately sit them down and have them watch it or have myself watch it again. <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm going to be in the the Ebert camp of thinking about this film once a month <laughs> until I until I die. But I, I had a, a very good time. Very similar to <laughs> Johnny Sacco and his giant robot. This film felt like a month or, or a, a full season of television kind of boiled down into a single film. But obviously this was not based on a TV show. This is, you know, just a movie by itself. But I, I think if I you know, when we move on from this decade, I'm, I'm looking for a seventies flick in this genre. This is going to be very high on the list. I think this might go even above a Godzilla versus Megalon for me. So I'm giving it a, an appropriate score. Nine out of 10 for my personal enjoyment. Just ridiculous fun time. <laughs> and for the technical, I'm dinging it a little bit down further from that. Given an eight out of 10, there's a lot of technical wizardry from the models to the sets. Some of them looked a little rinky dink, but the, the, the villain set with a giant skull mouth entrance looking like a, a He-Man <laughs> villain's lair. And they, they were fairly small sets by, I think a lot of comparable films, you know, budgets and, and what have you, but they did a lot with what they had. This does look like a movie based on a TV show, as far as like the technical aspects of it go, but the, the flaws in editing and dubbing and things, some of the sillier special effects, I really think add to this movie's charm and rewatchability. So I can't ding them too much for being that kind of bad. So I I might alter my score a little bit more for this. We'll we'll go seven out of 10 for the technical. How about that? Miles? I still think very good and very suited for the material. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly agree with you that there is a charm to it, but charm can only take you so far. I I do think that the script has a lot of problems, and obviously that that those logic holes, while certainly entertaining, and that's by no means a bad thing, 
are problems and they're the suits again conceptually so much of this is fantastic it's the execution of them that leaves a lot to be desired now does that mean the movie's without charm absolutely not but i'm just talking about the actual technical value i think of this film and while there is certainly fun to be had and there is some good stuff we talked about some of the great special effects of the the earthquake at the beginning and there are some really cool choreographed fights i really enjoyed the when the science foundation was involved in the fights and they did some pretty fun fi- like fighting yeah but yeah i mean there there is a a real i mean it's a it's a mixtape of influences which is great on one end but on the other hand you have this weirdly disjointed script that sometimes doesn't flow that well and then you know obviously zippers and suits and stuff and again I can forgive that in my enjoyment, but not when I'm talking about the technical value of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I'm dinging that to a six. It certainly isn't the worst looking thing you're going to ever see, despite the fact that there are some glaring flaws, but it is just above passing for me in terms of its actual like objective technical quality. Like it's good, yeah. but it's, it's also, there's a lot that's, not good, despite how entertaining those not good aspects are. If that makes any sense. For both seven and a six, I think on our technical scale, that equates to interesting concept or ideas. And I think this movie yeah. definitely have them, but yeah, it does not deliver in, in all the the ways that I really wish it should. And I don't know if that extra effort would have made the movie into a success. It does feel like there's heart and soul behind it, but for its evocative nature as a piece of art as it resonates in kaiju cinema i think its representation as kaiju film is a little lackluster so for me it's sitting in that same area as latitude zero a super fun colorful explosion on the screen very tangentially kaiju oriented this one definitely more ultraman common rider mix so i'm only giving it a five out of ten for its evocative nature uh what about you miles I'm actually a little higher okay. uh, on this one. I mean, I, being an evocative as a piece of art, I mean, clearly it was enough to charm Ebert. And that's a, a big one. And I mean, Ultraman, even though it's not being covered a ton in our show, is certainly a kaiju show. And yes, I would say this is more tangentially kaiju related because while you do have some monsters grow, it's not it's certainly not the focal point. But I think this is a pretty, pretty fun movie. I mean, culturally, mm-hmm. this is a little bit of a hidden gem, like you said. But I think it's one that it, it's discoverable. And that's a that's a weird, a weird thing to say. But I, I'm giving it a seven because it's certainly not something you're going to first. It's not a standout. It's mm-hmm. not the first thing you're going to find. But I think it's one of those things that when you're kind of running your brush along the the bones of your archaeological dig of Kaiju history, this is one of those finds that you're really going to appreciate and so fun (laughs) yeah and 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 i i'm 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 curving that score because of it because i do think this is a very fun experience and even though my personal enjoyment is tilted by its technical problems this is certainly a fun movie and if you're into these kind of things you will have a good time and especially if you have one or more friends over with some beverages, it is going to be a hoot and a holler. 
so that's gonna do it for our our scoring and our look historically at the super inframan the podcast final a seven out of ten i think right where it should be we both gave it a seven i'm pretty happy with that i think that this movie certainly deserves some love and a seven is a good score so i'm i'm really happy with that i think this is a super fun movie Yep, definitely, definitely check this out over John Borges and Giant. (laughs) Right. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, listeners. Email us at Kaiju versus history at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch or or on Twitter at Kaiju versus history, check out our letterboxed reviews. If you want to compare what you thought about these films to our final podcast score on Letterboxd or Kaiju versus History. Miles, what are we doing next week? Next week, we dive into yet another King Kong mockbuster. This time in the lead up to the 1976 remake. That's right. Tune in next time when we give the middle finger to History versus Ape. <laughs> <laughs>